0: do this. So open your Bibles, however you have them. Uh, if you're on your phone or if you're on the Bible app under YouVersion, you can look up at our events. You'll find our notes there under Charlotte's Hope Church. But turn to Genesis 29. Genesis 29 is where we're going to be uh, reading an incredible story today. So take a moment and let's, uh, let's get there together, all right? At the beginning of the year, we set a theme. We, we, we took a verse and said, God, you put this on my heart that this would be the theme of, of everything we do this year, God, that everything we talk about will come around this idea of Psalm thirty three twenty two, which will be on the screen, which says, may your unfailing love be with us, Lord, even as we put our hope in you. Day by day, moment by moment, we, we must understand that our hope can only be centered in the love of God. In fact, can I tell you that, that whenever we start experiencing things like fear or, or, or distrust or, or just anguish inside, something has is, something is moved. Something, not, not God. He is not moved. We have. Our hope has become on something else other than Him because our God never fails. Amen? And His love is, is absolutely unfailing, and we recognize that. And I encourage you, get this into your heart. Let it be your, your, your measure because that's the way I look at it. If I'm going through a day and I'm, I'm feeling overwhelmed or I'm going through something and I'm really distressed, then, then I have to stop and say, God, where have I put my hope? God, is it in man? Is it in, is it in someone else? Is it in my wife? Is it in our family? God, is it in our church? Or God, have I put my hope in you? And guys, that is where our hope has to be because God leads us in his love. And we have been in this series we started last week of, of how we experience his love, but also how we display it in the area simply known as kindness. In fact, in Colossians 3.22, we kicked off last Sunday. Kindness is, is this virtue that we are told literally to put on and never take off. In Colossians 3.12, again on your screen or in your notes, says, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Kindness. Last week, we defined it very simply as love, no matter what. Do you not want to be loved no matter what, right? And then yet God has called us to love others no matter what. We, are, we have received the kindness of our God, and he has told us literally that we are to do the same, so much so that we are literally to love kindness, I've taught often out of the book of Micah, out of this one scripture, you don't really teach a lot out of Micah except this one scripture, and it's Micah 6, 8, where where God kind of laid out these three thoughts of what is expected of us as followers of Christ. And we read it this way, he says, he has told you, oh man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to what? Do justice. He says, it's not something we just talk about, we do justice. We get engaged, we get involved, We, we help lift the burden off others, and to... Love kindness, not just be kind, because again, being kind does not mean being nice. If you missed last week, go listen to the message, you'll understand that better. But he said, Be love kindness and to walk humbly with our God. Because how many know you can't do justice and you can't be kind unless you walk humbly before our God? Because when you're humble before God, you recognize his greatness and his grace in each of us. Now, I don't know about you, but that word kindness, I I have a hard time distinguishing as I study God's word uh, between the way the Bible speaks about kindness and the way it talks about love. In fact, in many ways, they're interchangeable. On on Valentine's Day, you would expect that maybe I would have brought you a message out of 1 Corinthians 13, because we use that at our weddings and everything else, right? Because this is the day of love. Come on, people. So we gave you a heart of chocolate, because some of y'all need some chocolate in your life today. It's a day that in 1987, I, I drove to Houston, Texas and surprised this beautiful woman over here. And when she got off work and took her out to dinner and we were done, plopped down on one knee and said, girl, would you marry me? And yeah, come on, it's a day you gotta know. Chocolate is a good thing, isn't that right, baby? She loves some chocolate, I know. Yeah. She, when she said, I bought all those things since you bought many for me, right, yes. All the extra comes today right there, guys. So at, at the end of the service, we'll collect it the dark pieces go to her. The milk chocolate you can have. Take it on. But it's a big day. It's a big day of love. And in that in that chapter on love, in First Corinthians 13, the Apostle Paul uses this word kindness or kind. To describe how we love, because love is the source of all virtues, but it shows up in the form of kindness. I mean, think about it. If you really want to know how God loves people or how God loves you, then we, we need to look at how he displays his loving kindness, especially to those who in the world's eyes don't get a whole lot of it, to the Less fortunate to the lonely, to the neglected, to the abandoned, to the friendless, the homeless, the jobless, the hopeless. It's when we see how God loves no matter what, it engages you and I to a different level and says, that's the way we have to love. That's the way we must show kindness because it reminds us that if God sees the potential in the least likely, then so must I. In fact, he said, when you've done something to the least of these, it's as if you've done it to the Lord, Right. That that cup of cold water, that act of kindness, that that showing, that that love that goes out from us that tells people they are worthy of God's love. So today, I want to explore a a least likely story that's found in the Old Testament, in Genesis chapter 29. It's a story that's very familiar to many of you, but probably for all the wrong reasons. In fact, it's a story that I've read, heard, and taught on multiple occasions, but I have to be honest, I kind of missed something in there that God showed me in the weeks preparing for today. It's the story, not so much of Jacob and Rachel, because that's the love story, right? But it's really the story of Leah. You see, for hers, it's fundamentally a story about kindness that sees others the way God sees them and not how our culturally programmed eyes see people. See, Leah's is the story of a girl who was shunned by both her husband and her father, yet Leah understood only the love of God when he opened her eyes and she took hold of the fact God loved her no matter what. So I invite you in today to Genesis chapter 29. We're going to read more than we normally do on a Sunday morning, but you just can't help it if you, if you want to understand the story. So pick it up in Genesis chapter 29, beginning in verse 1. I'm going to read down through verse 14. Then Jacob... Continued on his journey and came to the land of the eastern peoples. There he saw a well in the open country with three flocks of sheep lying near it because the flocks were watered from that well. And the stone over the mouth of the well was large. When all the flocks were gathered there, the shepherds would roll the stone away from the well's mouth and water the sheep. Then they would return to the stone to its place over the mouth of the well. And Jacob asked the shepherds, My brothers, where are you from? We're from Haran, they they replied. He said to them, do you know Laban, Naor's grandson? Yes, we know him, they answered. Then Jacob asked them, is he well? Yes, he is, they said. And here comes his daughter Rachel with the sheep. Look, he said, the sun is still high. It is not time for the flocks to be gathered. Water the sheep, take them back to the pasture. We can't, they replied. Until all the flocks are gathered and the stone has been rolled away from the mouth of the well, then we will water the sheep. While he was still talking with them, Rachel came with her father's sheep, for she was a shepherd. When Jacob saw Rachel, daughter of his uncle Laban, and Laban's sheep, he went over, rolled the stone away from the mouth of the well, watered his uncle's sheep. Then Jacob kissed Rachel and began to weep aloud. Come on, somebody say Hallmark movie right there. It's got got it all, right? He had told Rachel that he was a relative of her father and son of Rebekah. So she ran and told her father, and as soon as Laban heard the news about Jacob, his sister's son, he hurried to meet him. He embraced him and kissed him and brought him to his home, and there Jacob told him all these things. Then Laban said to him, you are my own flesh and blood. A little backstory: maybe, maybe you didn't grow up in the days of the flannel graphs in Sunday school. Maybe you haven't read this in a while. Let me kind of fill you in because it doesn't make sense unless I do. Jacob was a grandson of Abraham. So again, the father of faith. He was a grandson. But, but Jacob was fleeing from his family in this moment. You see, his mom and, and himself had kind of, well, actually his mom, and he went along with it. He had come up with this great deception where literally he had stolen the birthright from his twin brother Esau by deceiving his father Isaac. And now he's on the run, basically fearing for his life. And after many days of running, he arrives at his grandfather's old hometown and he goes to the well where the locals gather where their sheep. Picture this. He's tired. He's a little anxious. Would you agree? He is distraught. He's thirsty. And what is there in his way but a big old stone covering up the mouth of the well? And he waits for someone to remove it. He tries to talk the shepherds into making it move away early. They won't do it. So he's trying to get this stone moved, right? I mean, it's in his way. He's just trying to quench his thirst. And then she shows up. Rachel. The Bible says in verse 10, when Rachel showed up, the daughter of his uncle Laban, he went over. I mean, he went over and rolled the stone off the mouth of the well, waters Uncle sheep. Then he goes over and kisses the girl, and he begins to weep out loud. Now, a little more backstory about Jacob. Jacob was a twin. Now, picture this. Esau, his brother, was the hunter-gatherer. He was the one out in the fields. He was the one that had the smell of the, of the, the game and, the, and the, the dirt and the soil and the, and the air of being outdoors. He was the, he was the Russell Crowe in this moment, okay? And Jacob was hanging around his mama's apron all the time. He was the one talking recipes, not how you got the venison. But can I tell you what happens in the power of a woman? The moment he saw Rachel... He went all from being Wolfgang Puck to Russell Crowe in a moment. He takes the stone, rolls it out of the way, goes and kisses the girl and said, I'm here, baby. <laughs> and he begins to weep. I'll give him that. Okay, he cried. It's all right. Love will do that to you sometimes. I mean, think about it. What a story. I mean, Hallmark movie channels all over this thing. And you can already, like any Hallmark movie, you can pretty much write the story, right? You can just know what's gonna happen. They're gonna love each other, gonna be some problems, and they're gonna love each other, gonna be some problems. And in the end, they all end up together, right? Because that's how every Hallmark movie ever goes. Why that channel's not allowed in my house. (laughs) But in this story, I have to say, not so fast, my friend. Because in this story, there's another character that we're gonna talk about. In fact, honestly, she's the most important character in this whole story. Her name is Leah. You see, Laban, Rachel's father, had this older daughter named Leah. And the way Genesis described Leah was awkward at best and cruel at worst. Because in Genesis 29, verse 17, it says this about her. It says, Leah had weak eyes, but Rachel had a lovely figure and was beautiful. Ouch. 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 Now, I don't think it meant that Leah needed to go and get some prescription glasses, okay? I don't think that's what it was talking about. But I believe it was saying that it was a fact that Rachel was captivating in her physical beauty and Leah was not. And for her entire life, listen, Leah had to live with that. For her entire life, she had to live with this understanding that her little sister was the one who transfixed men and caused them to roll large stones away and kiss her. Men looked past Leah to see Rachel. And Jacob was one of those men. But as you're going to see in this story, God was not. So Jacob enters this agreement with Laban. He says, I got to marry your daughter. I've already rolled the sun away. I've already kissed her. I need need to marry your daughter. He says, okay, seven years. And for seven years, Jacob served Laban so that he could marry rachel seven years can you imagine toiling in the sun doing all this work so that someday the wedding day will come and he can marry his love of his life this young lady named rachel and finally the wedding day comes and you can imagine all the beauty and the pageantry of the wedding feast because they did weddings back then in ways we don't even know how to do weddings and 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 finally the two love birds are going to finally be united but laban had other plans You see, it wasn't good form. It wasn't culturally acceptable for the younger daughter to get married before the older daughter. So Laban did something we can't even imagine. He snuck the weak-eyed Leah into the bridal chamber for the honeymoon night instead of the eye-catching beauty of Rachel, hoping the multiple glasses of wine that uh, Jacob had surely partaken of had made him just unaware. And by then, in the morning, by the consummation of the marriage, Jacob's wife would be Leah, not Rachel. Verse 25, it says, when morning came, there was Leah. (laughs) Stop. Wait. What? Some of you haven't read your Bible very much. I can tell. You're just like, you can't make this stuff up. And I don't have the time or the mental wherewithal to explain the wedding feast and the bridal chamber in a way that this makes any sense at all, so you're just going to have to go with it, okay? Because it's not the way it was back then, obviously but when morning came, there was Leah. So Jacob said to Laban, what have you done to me? I served you for Rachel, didn't I? Why have you deceived me? When morning came, there was Leah. Now, can you imagine this from her perspective? Huh. So basically, dad doesn't want me. Laban's trying to get rid of his older daughter, even through deception. Not only that, Jacob, her new husband, definitely doesn't want her, and she listens to these two men get into a heated argument. The whole time, her self-esteem erodes right in front of them because, in essence, here's what he was saying. Laban was saying, girl, men are never going to notice you, and i got to get rid of you, even if I have to do it by treachery. To make matters worse, a week later, Laban literally gives Rachel to Jacob in marriage. So here Laban, the father, doesn't see Leah as a princess, as this precious little girl. And Jacob doesn't see her as the bride of his youth or the woman of his dreams. But here she is now, Leah is the wife of Jacob the desperation in her life, the desperation to to receive love from anybody, her father, her husband, really, literally anyone. And we pick up the story of Leah in verse 31. It says, when the Lord saw that Leah was not loved. Oh, man. Can I tell you, just when I was reading through that and being a father of a daughter, the tears flowed. I'm like, I can't imagine. When the Lord saw that Leah was not loved, he enabled her to conceive. But Rachel remained childless. So Leah became pregnant and gave birth to a son, and she named him Reuben. For she said, it is because the Lord has seen my misery. Surely my husband will love me now. She conceived again, and when she gave birth to a son, she said, because the Lord heard that I'm not loved, he gave me this one too, and she named him Simeon. Again, she conceived and when she gave birth to a son, she said, now at last, my husband will become attached to me because I have borne him three sons. So she named him Levi. What a tragedy. Hallmark, forget about it. They're not going to publish this one. What a tragedy. Surely if I give him a son, he's got to love me. Surely we have another one. He's got to be attached to me. Surely the Lord is doing this because he sees I am miserable. See, Leah wanted to be loved and wanted these babies to prove to her husband, maybe to her father, that she was worth something. She was worth being loved and pursued. She had a purpose. Deep inside her soul, I've got to believe she desired for someone to see beyond her weak eyes, to see the beauty of God's creation in her life, to see her as one who was made in God's image. Say, Mike, where's the kindness in this story? Help us out. The kindness was only found in the kindness of God, which is an absolute model of the kindness that He's called you and I to show. Because God saw Leah for who she was. God saw Leah as one created in his image, and God saw Leah as one who needed the to, to know who needed to know that the grace of God is not something we just talk about, it's something we experience in our lives. And something happened in between verses 34 and 35, because all along, can I tell you something, God saw Leah. Never forget, he sees you and I as well. We serve the God who sees. He doesn't see through culture eyes looking for those who are worthy or beautiful or, or able to do amazing things. He sees us. As worthy of the blood of his own son who died on the cross for our sins. He saw Leah as one who was worthy of his love. He saw Leah as someone who needed to understand. He saw her. And literally, between verses 34 and 35, something happened because Leah's eyes were open to the fact that God saw her, God loved her, and he opened her up to her mission, her calling, and her purpose. But it took a while for her to notice. Can I tell you, we do the same. Well, God, you must love them more. Look at their family. God, you, you must love them more. Look at their history, God. Look at, look at the things they've done, God. You must love them more, God, because when I look in the mirror, God, all I see is weak eyes. But God sees us. God knows us. And he calls us his own. And something happened between verses 34 and 35 because the story continues with another child. See, back in verse 31, it says this, when the Lord saw that Leah was not loved, he enabled her to conceive. We've seen this in the story, three boys, but yet Rachel remained childless. But what was going on during that time was Leah was continually to allow other people to label her, other people to define her worth, other people to name her. You can just almost hear the talk in the tent. Oh, way to go, Leah, another boy. Oh, I feel bad for her. Oh, another child. Isn't that awesome? But man, she's not loved. She's she's that woman. She's Leah. See, she was letting other people determine her value based on babies, (laughs) not based on the fact God loved her and God created her. And she needed to see this. She needed to understand. She needed to receive God's grace. And she needed to learn to love herself through that love. And then comes another baby, but this time it's different. Verse 35, it says, she conceived again. And when she gave birth to a son, she said, this time I will praise the Lord. What happened? Something changed. I mean, think about it. She just got through saying, well, now my husband's got to love me, or now he's got to be attached to me because I gave him another boy. But this time she stopped and she said, this time I will praise the Lord. This time my identity is in the one who created me and loves me and knows me whether I have a baby or not. This time I will look up at my Redeemer and praise him and not look at my own life in shame. This time I'll be defined as a woman deeply loved by my lord and she named him judah and then she stopped having children (laughs) three times she had turned to jacob three times she turned to jacob for love and acceptance but came up empty but this time she turned to the lord and i have to believe her eyes welled up with tears because this time it was different this time she understood the loving kindness that god had graced her with you see god sees god sees beauty differently than you and i do God sees us through a lens we don't understand. God sees us in a way that culture does not accept or cannot even put together because God sees all of us as equally loved, equally valued, equally made in His image, worthy, worthy of His love and His grace. You see, Leah's story is far more than a marriage story. It's a God-makes-things-beautiful-in-His-time story. It's a it's a beauty story. From Ash's story. And when everyone else was seeing Leah as a problem, as an inconvenience, God felt her anguish. God saw her beauty. He opened her womb to bear four sons Ruman, Simeon, Levi, and Judah. And Judah was different. Oh, the others were significant. They're important. You read about them in the history of the Bible. But Judah was different. You see, at Hope Church, we learned something at Christmas, and that is genealogies matter, because they tell us the rest of the story, right? Maybe you don't recognize Judah, maybe you put tribe before him, you, you don't understand it better, because Judah became the tribe that would bring about the royal line that would include David and Solomon, and ultimately a man named Joseph, who would be the earthly father of the Christ child born in the manger. You see, Jesus didn't come from a union of Jacob and Rachel, he came from a union of Jacob and Leah. Jesus came from the seed of the one who was despised and rejected, the one with weak eyes. You say, Mike, so what? (laughs) Because you see, God has a way of taking the ordinary and making it extraordinary people. God has a way of taking the despise and using it to reflect His grace. God has a way of taking those which others may look down on, and God lifts up. Why? Because he loves us and is kind toward us. It's out of the messiness of our lives that beauty emerges. It's out of the messiness of Leah's life that she was able to declare, this time I will praise the Lord and allow him to define me, not Jacob, not Laban, not Rachel, not anybody else. Can I tell you, if you want to be healthy in your understanding of who you are, you've got to live that way. I'm not labeled by anybody else's thought. I'm not labeled by anybody else's value or or devalue in my life. I am labeled by only one thing, and that is the blood of the cross that tells me I'm infinitely worth everything to our God. And I have to live that way. You see, out of her doubts and despairs, Leah saw the grace of God. And that's the way kindness understands beauty. That's the way of kindness that sees in others what Jacob and Laban did not see, but what God saw. Because here's the thing, kindness, from God's point of view, always sees the extraordinary in the ordinary. And the extraordinary then becomes part of God's redempted work in a broken world. See, the way of kindness refuses to believe when people say, God doesn't love me. The way of kindness refuses to believe when people say, God can't use me. Refuses to believe when people say, I'm just not valued by God, not with my background, not with my story, my pain, my family. And God calls you and I, because that's where we fit into this story. He calls you and I into this way of kindness where we love no matter what, so that we can defeat the lies of the enemy in the lives of others who have bought into the lie. It says they're not good enough. They're not smart enough, not loved enough, not lovely enough, not affirmed enough, not rich enough, not assertive. Whatever they enough is, it's all lies from the pit of hell. And you and I are called every single day as followers of Christ to do this one thing, and that is to help them see there's a God in heaven that loves them, whose son died for them, not because of anything they could do ever, but because of who they are. They may think they're ordinary, but they're extraordinary in God's eyes. They may think they they have, have issues that keep them out, and God says, no, you are the ones I welcome in. You see, like Leah, we have to help people finally understand that the only affirmations that are needed in their lives are really the affirmations that are not earned, but the affirmations that come purely by grace. I love you no matter what. God loves you no matter what. Church, on your worst day, God loves you no matter what. He doesn't love you more on your best day. He doesn't sit in heaven and say, oh, good job, way to go, you had a good day, I love you so much. No, when you fall flat on your face and you think it's over, he picks you up and says, did you forget I love you? Did you forget I have a purpose in you? Did you forget I want to bring beauty from ashes? You see, what may seem so ordinary and unbecoming about us, God makes beautiful and turns into the grand story of redemption because he took the woman with the weak eyes in this story and literally through her comes the redemption story, the salvation of all mankind. Through the seed of Leah, we find Jesus. And it's in that loving kindness that God calls us to. Because if we're going to walk in kindness, we've got to actually see ourselves on both sides of the story. We gotta see ourselves in both sides of the story. We gotta, we gotta recognize that we have to see ourselves the way God sees us. I think one of the greatest impediments to Christian witness and work is how we see ourselves. I think one of the greatest lies the enemy has told us is not that God doesn't love us, it's just that somehow we're not all that. And we sit back and say, Oh, well, God, you can work through so-and-so. Oh, God, you can. They they sing, God, they're special. Oh, God, they, they, they're, they're at the door, God. They, they can open a door. There we go, God. They're special. And God says, no, every single one of you is special. But I think, this, I think Satan gets in our heads so much that we're beat down because of our past, our sin, our brokenness. Come on, I've told you before, some of you, one of the greatest things you need to learn to forgive is you. Because the moment you confess your sins, God says he is faithful and just who forgives us of our sins and cleanses us from how much unrighteousness? Help me out here. All. Not some. But some of you are still living back in the divorce of 20 years ago or the failure in this area or the brokenness in that area. And God says, stop it. Because what you're doing is you're making yourself into a Leah when I've loved you always, no matter what. So we have to pray, Lord, let me see myself through your eyes. But we also have to be on the flip side of this story, and that is, Lord, help me see others, not how the world sees them, or even if I've seen them in the past, God, but only as you see them. And we pray that way it transports us into the in the truth we see in God's word, it's the truth we see in the New Testament when in Second Corinthians 12, 9, we hear these words, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weakness so that Christ's power may rest on me. I don't know what it's going to be like when we get to heaven. That's a fun speculation, isn't it? But I, I've always thought, you know, when you get to heaven, it's gonna be easy. Like, oh, there's Peter. I, yeah, that's got to be Peter. He's loud. I'm not. That's got to be Peter. And there's Paul. He he looks like he used to kill people. And 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 there's there's Rahab because she's always been known as Rahab, the harlot. Uh, I want to see Leah. And say, girl, your eyes are beautiful. Because God made you beautiful. And God took the ordinary and brought out the extraordinary. That God took your weakness and he brought about power. That's why in Ephesians 2.10 it says we are God's handiwork. We are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. Listen, gang. (laughs) I have to admit, in this depraved world we live in, we're so uncultured to look at people the wrong way. In this this world of sin and curse that we live in, it's so easy to look past people to see the more desirable. At least we think so in our own warped thinking. It's honestly too easy to look at people, even in the church, and say, God, they're too old, they're too uneducated, they're too scarred, they're too broken, they're too sick, they're too simple, they're too lonely for God to ever use them as the voice of hope in this world. But kindness doesn't see people that way. And kindness doesn't allow us to sidestep those who are obscure or anonymous. Kindness means we see how God used the weak eye to become part of his redemptive plan. And because of that, we stop and pause and say, then God, here I am. Use me. That's why I love when you read Hebrews, kind of the Hall of Fame of Faith, Hebrews 11. Because not only did God use people like Leah, but if you're going to be honest in the word of God, then you're going to have to start with a man named David who was kind of the runt of the litter among all the brothers in his family. You're going to have to talk about the prostitute, Rahab. You're going to have to learn about the unlearned fisherman named Peter that, oh, by the way, Jesus said, upon this rock, I'll build my church. You're going to have to embrace the despised tax collector who was a disciple named Matthew. Matthew. You're going to have to be encouraged by the hater and the murderer of Christians named Paul. And you can't ignore the scandalous story of the unwed, pregnant, teenage mom named Mary who gave birth to a son, laid him in a cow's feeding trough, and today we worship him. See, on this Valentine's Day, It'd been, it'd been cool to talk about Rachel and Jacob. Oh. But God wants you to see Leah. And God wants you to see yourself in the story. And God wants you to recognize that a kind-hearted God takes the least impressive stories there are and weaves them in the beautiful narratives of his grace. Can I tell you? You may be one. I know I'm one. No one's going to write a book about my life and nobody's going to read it anyway. But God knows every word, every chapter, and he's still writing new chapters. See, this should be our perspective. This should be our understanding on Valentine's Day, the perspective of the redeemed. I am God's workmanship. You are God's workmanship. Purpose, meaning, value was knitted into you in your mother's womb before you ever breathed a breath. Your value is not because you showed up on earth and you did something amazing. The very fact you showed up makes you amazing. You see, I am not society's workmanship. I'm not what culture says about me. I am who God says I am. Someone needs to hear this. You are not your spouse's workmanship. You're God's workmanship. Well, if I just change this, she'll finally love me. If I just change that, he'll finally love me. If I just have this baby, he'll love me. Uh Uh-uh. God's workmanship. To Some of our younger ones, you're not your boyfriend's or your girlfriend's workmanship, so stop trying to change for them be who you were made to be in the image of god a lover of the father a one who shows forth his glory and guess what if they can't love that you need someone better anyway you deserve someone better anyway sad jacob waited too late to finally understand this story because you see if you go forward in this genesis account you go to chapter 49 Jacob woke up, and in his dying days, he told his servants, hey, bury me next to Leah. You can't be kind when someone's gone. Roses, flowers, arrangements are not going to make up for a life where you devalued somebody. My prayer for you on Valentine's, my prayer for me, my prayer for my family, for my daughter, my sons, for my future daughter-in-laws is simply this. Out of 1 Corinthians 1, 27, that God would choose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise and choose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. And to be proud of the fact God loves you. But to let that knowledge to let that knowledge shape you in such a way that you can't help but love others no matter what. Father, thank you. God, on this day where the world celebrates Valentine's and Hallmark gets rich, God, today, Father, we just stop and give you thanks. God truth be told majority of us see ourselves more as the Leah of the story than we see ourselves as the Rachel the beautiful the wanted the altogether and God this world is so warped the concept of beauty and the concept of value and God, our prayer is that, Lord, it not be said of us, that we have given into that, Father, that we have bought into that, that, Lord, somehow, God, we judge people with our eyes and never give them the opportunity to experience your love, that, Lord, we forget you called us to have a strong center and soft edges, that others can come into our lives no matter what and experience the love you have in us, the love you have for us. So, God, I pray this morning, God, that, Lord, two things happen today. God, I pray that those that do not think somehow they're worthy of your love or have not accepted the fact that, Lord, your son died for them, that, Lord, today all that would be stripped away. And Lord, just like between verses 34 and 35, let that be the moment for them right now. Something happens that changes their perspective. and They call out to you. And say, God, I need you. I want you. And God, I receive your love through your son, Jesus Christ. And God, I am so always blown away by the picture in my own mind of what takes place in heaven in that moment, God. When your word says all, the, all of heaven rejoices, God, I, ca- I can see the angels dancing in that moment when one, one, says today is the day of salvation. Today's is the day I give my life to Christ. So Lord, make that happen. But Father, I also pray for those for us, God, who, who do know. God who do know better. I pray, God, that for those who receive Christ, Lord, we learn to walk in freedom, God. We learn to walk in the freedom from labels of our past. We can learn to walk in freedom from disappointments and brokenness of our past we learn to walk in freedom from what others have said about us thought about us done to us god all that slips away god and we walk in the freedom because of one thing god we are free in christ whom the sun sets free is free indeed god out of that i pray that our eyes our actions our words god our thoughts would be transformed That, Lord, we would begin to see people as only you see them, God. Made in your image. Worthy of your love. God, we walk in that amazing grace. And, Lord, we give it to everyone around us. God, we pray this in Christ's wonderful name.